Hey, good morning. You guys, if you need to spread out some, feel free to spread on out into the parking lot. Come up further and be out on the sides if you want to so that you're not so far at the back. Um, but get where you feel safe and where you feel comfortable. And welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. It is another beautiful morning. I love it. I love meeting outside. Do you guys like meeting outside? Yes, I love it. And I love that we get to meet face to face or maybe mask to mask. If you're a college student, um, we're especially glad you're here and we want to welcome you and we want you to know that you're an important part of our church family. And it's really hard for us to get around and meet all of the college students. So please don't hesitate to walk up to one of us and say, hey, I don't think I've met you and introduce yourself um, so that we know who you are. But we want you to feel welcome here. We want you to feel a part here. Uh, we want you to know that you have a place here with us. So Brad gave us a worship activity last week, and we were going to share some of those this morning, but we haven't been wanting to share microphones, so I'm kind of uncertain about how to do that. Do you think we can talk loud enough without a mic? No? Oh, ideas? Okay, then let's, we're going to think about that for another week and see if we can come up with an, a way to share those. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. But if you missed it last week, the worship activity was to select something meaningful to you. So it might be a scripture, it might be a story, it might be a poem, it might be a painting. It could be a number of things. And then to answer three questions. What does this say to you about the heart of God? Is God communicating something to you personally or to our church family? And then your response to God about that. How would you respond to that? Okay, so you get another week to work on that while we think about how we might share those. Like we might put something where you could share those in a doc and then we could read them on a Sunday morning. So be looking for that, um, ways to share, and then jump in and share once you see that. Like, don't just look at that and go, oh, that's for somebody else. That's for you. So share what you feel like God has said to you, and we'll share that with the community. So we've started a series this fall called Christianity, Community, and Character. And the way that this came about is we did a survey and we asked people, what things do you think it would be important for us to talk about on Sundays? And then I kind of took that list and said, okay, here are some of the things people said that kind of go together. Here are some other things that kind of go together. These are the different things that I see in here. And then Brad looked at it and immediately went, oh, these things are about Christianity. These are about community and these are about character. Boom, here we go. And he is very good at that and very fast at that. And I am very not. So I am very thankful for the way that he works on our sermon series. Um, and so then I'm reminded of the scripture at the end of John where he says Jesus did many other things as well. 
If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And so in thinking about that sermon series, I'm like, wow, this is such a big thing. Like, who is Jesus? Who are we? Who am I? Those are big topics. How do we even figure out what to talk about? And so that's when Brad had the great idea of getting all of us into groups based on those questions and just brainstorming. What would you want to know about Jesus? What would you want to know about community? And so we did that on a Sunday morning, and we made a big list of all the things that you guys said that you would like to hear about those different things, what you thought would be important for our church family. And so today, um, the topic is big big deals that Jesus made small and why. And so that actually came out of a group that I was sitting in on, the Who is Jesus group. And this is kind of the idea behind that. So the person that threw this out was like, like, you know, uh, grief. Grief is such a big deal to us, but Jesus seemed to deal with grief and then be okay. And so how do we deal with grief the way he did so that we can be okay in that as well? And so... What we're going to do this morning is we're going to, I just picked a couple of things that I think Jesus made small, and we're going to talk that we make big, that he made small, and we're going to talk through those. I think that what we see in scripture a lot of times is that Jesus' kingdom is very upside down, that he seems to flip the script, if you will, on things. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Anyone who wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will find it. Whoever desires to be great among you must be servant. Our big deals seem small to Jesus because he looked at them differently. And so the first one we're going to look at today is self-worth or self-confidence. So we make self-worth or self-confidence a big deal. Jesus made it smaller. So Why did he do that and how did he do that? I grew up in Dallas and my parents moved into our house when I was six months old. We moved to Denton, Kurt and I, about six years ago. And the October after we moved here in July, my dad passed away. And a couple of years after that, my mom decided to sell that house. So they had been in that house for 50 years A lot of things had happened in that house, um, and trying to set a price on that was extremely hard, because to us, we grew up in that house. Um, I brought Kurt home to meet my parents and my family in that house. My dad cooked steaks the night that I brought Kurt home, and Kurt said, I'm in. If we're having steak, I'm in. Kurt took the dishes off the table and took them to the sink after we ate. And I had told my family a long time ago, you will know the man I'm going to marry when he takes the dishes off the table and takes them to the sink. So he did that and they all went, what? (laughs) So there's a lot of memories there. Um, We gathered there for meals, for birthdays, for Christmases, for Thanksgivings, to celebrate engagements and births of babies. Um, Our kids grew up in that house. 
They stayed up until two o'clock playing games with my mom. They laughed hysterically with my dad about his stories and his jokes. And they basically had a 7-Eleven set up there where they could get their favorite snacks because my mom made sure they had what they needed. My parents added a den, they remodeled the kitchen, they created their own little oasis in the backyard, they had a deck with a swing, and they had this really old refrigerator that they had painted like a Texas flag, and that they kept stocked with everybody's favorite drinks. So if you came over to sit on the porch with Mama Frank and Papa, you were going to go to the fridge and get whatever your drink of choice was, whether that was Diet Coke or water or Whatever it was, it was there because they wanted you to be comfortable. And it held sweet memories and funny memories and sad memories. And so how do you put a price on that? How do you put a value on that? Um, fortunately, my aunt, who's been a successful realtor for over 50 years, was the one in charge of that. And one of the things that she reminded us of was the value of a house to us was very different than the market value was. The market value was determined by the highest price someone was willing to pay for it. And 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, we were bought at a price. And 1 Peter 1.18 and 19 says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. See, we were bought with a very high price. A very high value was placed on us in what God was willing to pay for us. And the price paid for us gives us a value of immeasurable, like how do you even measure that? We can't even measure our value. See, Jesus made self-confidence and self-worth small, not because it wasn't important. He didn't dismiss it. He didn't say this is not important, but because it doesn't come from self. It's not about me. Our confidence doesn't come from ability or looks or popularity or wealth. It comes from the price Jesus paid for us. It comes from the value Jesus put on us. And when this interesting thing happens where I talk to you guys a lot about people that uh, you study with, and I'm, it's interesting to me how many people can convey those people's value to them, but cannot see their own value. And so we can tell other people why they're valuable, but we can't see why we ourselves are valuable. And so I think that being able to see our value in Christ, because I think we tie that to being arrogant or prideful, like if I say I'm valuable, that's very arrogant and very prideful. But if I say I'm valuable because of my worth to God, that gets rid of arrogance and pride. Because that's not about anything that I do. It's not about any value I have on my own. It's about value he gives me. And so there's no way that I can look and say, look what I did. Look who I am. I have more value than you have. You don't do that when you realize that your value comes from God. All I can do is be humble. 
I've done nothing on my own. I have no value on my own. He gives me value and he gave it to everyone. He gave it to everyone. So I'm valuable, but I'm not special in that I'm not the only one that's valuable. He values everyone. Matthew 10, 29 through 31 says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's knowledge. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. I think about that line, even the hairs of your head are numbered. And have you ever known anybody that has a collection? So this very strange thing happens with people that have a collection. One of my sons loved Pokemon cards. And so he had these boxes and also these notebooks that were full of Pokemon cards. But if I went and said, um, what's, what's the best Pokemon card you got? Flip, flip, flip. He knew exactly where it was. He knew exactly how many cards he had. I'm like, he's like, I'm missing a card. I'm like, you have 1,500 Pokemon cards. I know, but right now I only have 1,499 because I can't find the other one. It's like, how do you know how many of those you have? But when something is valuable to you, you know. You know when one is missing. And that's what he's saying with this scripture here is he's numbered the hairs of your head. That's how valuable you are to him. He knows about you. He knows everything about you. And he knows when even one of your hairs is missing. <laughs> There's this book that I read a long time ago called Mud and the Masterpiece, Seeing Yourself and Others Through the Eyes of Jesus. And if you've never read it, I would recommend it, highly recommend it to you. But I wanted to read you a story from here that I think illustrates this so well. Hawkeyes has lived on the streets for years. Abused and discarded by his father at a young age, street survival is the only life he knows. He and his wife, Lady Hawk, live in a tent in the forest but work the streets to survive. Travis Tank, who is a guy that works with uh, the man that wrote this book, Travis Tank decided to go out to the streets and shoot a photo essay called No Homeless in Heaven. His mission was simple to listen to the stories of those on the streets and ask them how God helps them. As a professional photographer, he would combine their stories with their pictures to create a photo essay. In the process, he hoped to pass on the message that God loves them and they have value to him. When Travis photographed him, Hawkeyes casually mentioned he had never owned a photo. Several weeks later, Travis tracked him down with a beautiful framed 8x10 photo of Hawkeyes and Lady Hawk kissing. He also brought several other glossy photos, including a stunning shot of Hawkeyes that made him look like a model of strength. Standing tall with his Texas flag, long dirty blonde hair framing his tanned weathered face, it was striking. When Travis gave him the photos, this rough, brazen, street-worn man burst out into tears. Something about those photos, or maybe the value they conveyed, moved him deeply. He stood to his feet and embraced Travis. As a result, Hawkeyes and Lady Hawk decided they wanted to know more about a God who would value them like Travis did. 
See, value holds deep meaning to us and to people that we meet. So my question is, do I hold in my mind the picture of my true worth from God's perspective, or do I mentally subtract value based on my, what I perceive to be my weaknesses? Do I hold God's perspective of my value, or do I subtract from my value all the things that I see wrong with myself? And then I think the second question is, do I do that for other people? Do I look at other people and see the value they have because God has assigned value to them? Or do I start subtracting points, value points, for all the things that I see are wrong with them? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is why Jesus made self-confidence and self-worth small. Because we are God's masterpiece and he created us. And that is the source of our confidence and our worth. The second thing I want to talk about in terms of big deals that Jesus made small is happiness. We make happiness a big deal, but Jesus made it small. The why on this one is not nearly as clear cut to me. Like I know Jesus makes happiness smaller than we do, but trying to say why, there's so many different reasons why. Like I think part of it is that his definition of happiness is a lot deeper and more lasting than ours is. I think part of it is the value he places on pain and suffering and what that can do in our lives. And we're absolutely averse to that. I just think there's more than one reason. But what I settled on, what I thought kind of captured it the best, is that we make happiness a big deal and Jesus made it small because he doesn't want us to chase happiness. He wants us to chase him because that's where true happiness lies. In the Great Commission, Jesus' last earthly instructions to his disciples, which carries forward to his instructions to us as well, were go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus didn't say as his last words, go your way and do what makes you happy. I've done everything for you so that you can live your best life. Would you like some coffee? Can I turn Netflix on so you can binge watch your favorite show? Put your feet up, live a happy life, free from pain, free from problems, and I'll see you on the other side when you're done with your long, relaxing, happy, easy life. He didn't tell us that because he said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the life. He's come that we may have life and have it to the full. So what he told us was go. And going does not always make us what we consider happy. It's uncomfortable. He told us to risk getting our hearts broken. He told us to give whatever it takes, to go wherever we have to go, to do whatever we have to do, to love whoever we have to love, to make disciples. Now, does that mean God doesn't want us to be happy? 
I think that that would be an interesting conclusion to come to um, based on what scripture says. Um, and so just a few, Psalms 144.15, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. James 5.13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. This happy, if happiness is going to lead to us singing songs of praise, then I would assume God would want us to be happy. Psalm 68, 3, but may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. But I think the biggest thing in scripture that shows me that God cares about happiness is the Beatitudes. So Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And basically, that's where Jesus told us how to be happy. The word blessed that Jesus used is derived from a Greek word that translates into happy or blissful. And so blessed are the poor in spirit can also be translated to happy are the poor in spirit. See, happiness in Jesus's kingdom, that upside down kingdom, involves being poor and being meek. It involves mourning and being persecuted and things like that because those are the things that lead to true happiness. Happiness in the Bible is much more meaningful. It's much deeper than our use of the word as a short-lived feeling of elation or pleasure or everything being the way I want it to be. In the Bible, happiness can go coexist with hardship, with grief, and with lack of resources. Jesus told us that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be given to us as well. Jesus tells us to seek the kingdom because he knows when we seek the kingdom, we'll find the happiness we're looking for. We'll find the life to the full that he said he came to bring. So just kind of a side note about happiness um, and the reason that Jesus made it smaller is that happiness is not our right. And we many times act like it is. And we say things like, God, a good God would never do blank. Or I'm going to do blank because God wants me to be happy. And these statements and a lot of others like them indicate that we feel we have a right to be happy. But here's the thing. We don't have the right to be happy any more than we have the right to be an Olympic gold medalist. C.S. Lewis said it this way. For I believe that we depend for a very great deal of our happiness or misery on circumstances outside of human control. A right to happiness doesn't, for me, make much more sense than a right to be six feet tall or to have a millionaire for your father or to get good weather whenever you want to have a picnic or have church outside. We seek our happiness from circumstances that change all the time rather than from our God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus made happiness a small deal because he doesn't want us to seek happiness. He wants us to seek him. That way we have a happiness that's not dependent on circumstances and a happiness that lasts. J.I. Packer summed it up this way, the way to be truly happy is to be truly human, and the way to be truly human is to be truly godly. Seek first the kingdom. So we make big deals out of things that Jesus made small. And what I want you to remember 
is that he didn't make them small because they were unimportant. He made them small because he has something better for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He came so that we would have life and have it to the full, and he is the big deal. So in this section that we've done on who is Jesus, we started out by talking about who Jesus is not, and then we moved into talking about the fact that Christianity is not just another worldly religion, that a lot of times we find it easier just to add Jesus to our life rather than making him the focal point of our life. We talked about how that rather than the ends justifying the means, that the means should showcase the ends, that our good deeds should showcase who Jesus is. We've talked about how that in order to live like Jesus, that we need to put ourselves in his shoes. We need to imagine what it looked like for Jesus to live the way he did. We talked about how Jesus dealt with opposition how Jesus was not a people pleaser, but he was also not a jerk. And then today we finish this section with big deals that Jesus made small and why. Um, there is a whole lot more to answer the question, who is Jesus? But those are some of the things that you guys thought would be helpful for our community to think through. And I would encourage you not to stop thinking about that just because we're moving on to another topic. But have conversations with each other about who Jesus is and how we should respond to him and what our lives should look like based on that. Next week, we're going to start the section on community. Who are we as a group? Who is community? Um, and so be thinking and talking and praying about that this week. Um, think about what some of your questions are about community, um, and hopefully we'll address some of those. Um, do you have any questions about this idea of Jesus making things small that we, some t that we make a big deal about? Okay, well, if you think of anything, and this goes for any sermon that we do, if you have any questions, you don't have to feel like you have to ask them in the big group. You can approach me or Brad or... Don or Kurt or any of our leaders, and we'd be more than happy to sit down and have a conversation with you um, and try and think through some of your questions with you. So please do that. Um, is there anybody that still needs a communion cup? If you'll raise your hand and keep it up until Kurt gives you one, he's going to bring those around. Um, I also want you to know that we um, have new communion cups. Uh, so we had a little problem with leakage on the other ones. And so we got some uh, ones that are similar, but hopefully a little better in that regard. But again, keep your hands up until he brings that to you. I was reading in Mark this week, and I was reading the story about where Jesus heals a deaf man that also um, had difficulty speaking he healed him, and the line that caught my attention from that was people were overwhelmed with amazement. People were overwhelmed with amazement. And my first thought was, I think I'm overwhelmed with amazement quite often. 
about who Jesus is. But when is it that I'm overwhelmed with amazement? And the answer to that was easy. I'm overwhelmed with amazement when I take time to sit and think about Jesus. When I take time to sit with him and I take time to reflect on those things. Um, It's when I take time to look around and see Willow and see Kike and see James and see Hazel and see Ezra and see all of the children that we have prayed for that God has brought to us and to see Jesus' perfection in them. I'm overwhelmed with amazement the way that God has answered our prayers there. I'm overwhelmed with amazement when I think about how Brad and I talked about if we meet outside on a Sunday morning and we meet at 9.30 instead of closer to 11, are people even going to show up? And we've had close to 100 people every week that have showed up not grumpy and complaining, but that have showed up happy to be able to meet together wherever they can. And I'm overwhelmed with amazement at Jesus because he's the reason for that. I'm overwhelmed with amazement when I think about the value Jesus put on me. When I think about the price he paid for me, when it's so hard for me to see any value in myself, I'm overwhelmed that he would deem me valuable. And as we celebrate Jesus this morning, I want you to take some time to be overwhelmed with amazement about him. I want you to take some time to remember why you should be overwhelmed with amazement. And I want you to share that with somebody. And if that's not this morning, then take some time this week to reflect on that and share it with someone outside of our community. Like that's part of telling the good news is telling people why we're overwhelmed with amazement by Jesus. We're going to pray together and then um, you can take some time to reflect on that. You can take your communion um, and then we're just going to have a time of fellowship like we do every week. I'll remind you that the building is open. The bathrooms are um, in there for us to use until 11 and then they'll close down at 11. Um, And I'll remind you to take all your stuff with you when you leave as well. So let's pray together. Jesus, I am overwhelmed with amazement at the value you put on our lives. I'm overwhelmed with the price that you paid. And I pray that as we think through who you are, that we'll be able to see the things that are a big deal to you, that we'll be able to surrender up the things we think are a big deal and exchange them for the things that you say are a big deal. I pray that um, we would learn to view happiness as seeking after you, that we would learn your definition of what that is so that we can live lives to the full like you've told us that you've come for. Um, I pray, God, that we'll be people who are overwhelmed with amazement, that we won't miss you, Um, that we'll take time to sit and think about you and all the things you do for us. Um, I pray that um, we would be overwhelmed with amazement right now as we celebrate what you've done for us and as we remember what you've done for us so that we can be encouraged and go out this week and live for you.
Uh, thank you, Jesus. We love you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I I asked Brad if I could still share my worship thought uh, this morning against my better judgment because I don't really want to, but like maybe the spirit wanted me to. So I'm going to share. Here we are. So, okay. Um, so a movie that's like really meaningful to me is The Peanut Butter Falcon. Have any of you seen it besides Claudia? Okay, a few. Um, so basically... It's about a couple of guys who become really un uh, hello, um, unlikely friends. And like one of them is on the run from the law. The other one is on his way to get to a wrestling school, like dream. And yeah. Uh, and so their main characters are Tyler and Zach. Tyler's on the run from like basically a bunch of things against the law that he's committed and Zach Zach has down syndrome and he escapes from his assisted living facility and they run into each other and um yeah anyway Tyler this guy he's just kind of a, a grumpy like hick and is not very kind to Zach at first but Zach is like totally oblivious to Tyler being mean to him and he just kind of sticks with him and um, so eventually, Tyler is like really, really worn down by Zach's kindness towards him. There's a scene where they're on a boat and they kind of just had to be forcefully baptized. <laughs> and um, Tyler breaks down because of all the sin in his life. And Zach says, Tyler, I want to give you all my birthday wishes. <laughs> and I think Zach reflects a lot of Jesus to me in this movie. He makes Tyler's burdens lighter with him. And I think that's what Jesus promises us. He promises that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He doesn't promise that the burdens go away, but Zach carries them with Tyler. Despite how different they are. And Tyler, by the end of the movie, is really changed by Zach's friendship. And I think about my own sin and my own self-righteousness and um, defensiveness and criticisms toward people who I just think are doing things wrong or are different than me. But Paul says in Romans 2.4, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? forbearance and patience and not realizing that God's kindness leads to repentance. And Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and you will learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think Zach was really gentle and humble in heart in that movie. And I mean, just to kind of further my point about Zach, Zach was really kind and patient with Tyler, not expecting him to be different immediately. And Zach was a place of rest for Tyler. And Tyler eventually gave up his bitterness. And Zach wasn't concerned at all with how different they were. 
And it really ministers to me because Zach gave Tyler like an extravagant amount of grace in my mind, which is the gospel. It challenges me because I'm really judgmental, impatient, self-righteous, and critical. And that comes from my own hurt and fear from over the years. And I let my own hurt and fear turn me into the same thing that I hate. And Jesus did not drive out hate with hate. And when I'm tempted to hate, it's because I don't think that God will ultimately care for me and that I need to care for myself or the people I care about. But that's not true of God. God cares for us, like Leslie said from scripture earlier. He knows all the hairs on our head. Also, I thought when she said, did you know anyone with a collection? I thought she was talking about a collection of hair. And I was like, where is this going? (laughs) I'm very glad it was Pokemon cards. So I want to share this because it's, it's definitely personal. It ministers to me, but I think God might be speaking to some of us in the church too, not just our church. And like, did I forget that Jesus accepted me for who I was exactly when he met me? In John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so that last question that was on the worship prompt was respond to God. (laughs) And so here's my response to God before all of you. God, help me repent. Help me forgive. Please forgive my judgment, my hostility, and my defensiveness. I'm so sorry I've sinned against your people. Your fellow image bearers, I'm sorry for waging war the way the world does. For a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So that's what I wanted to share with you guys. Um... This is, I've never cried in front of DNC, but it's about time. So I'll just pray for us, I guess. (laughs) Um, God, thank you for this, this body that you've given to us. I pray, I pray that you would help us um, seek you and um, be open to you in whatever you're teaching us. And I pray that, um, We would experience, we would be looking for your kindness and letting your kindness change us. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.